This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Morning. Good to see all of you. God bless you. If you need a Bible, why don't you get your hand up real high? Our ushers would gladly get you a Bible. Then we will begin this morning in the book of Psalm, the Psalm uh, 25. Psalm 25, again, we are now on our several weeks into our series on an enemy called Average. And so I, I believe today that the Scriptures will not only teach us, but the Scriptures have the ability to convict our hearts and to raise the standard for us that God desires for each one of us. So as you're turning to Psalm 25, we're going to talk about today what it means to be a friend of God. But as you're turning there... A question arises, do I obey God only when it's convenient? Do I obey God only when it's easy? Do I obey God when it's popular? And so those are some of the things you're going to see jump out today through the scripture. So again, we begin in Psalm 25 verse 14. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Different translation, the New Living says, Friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him, and he will share the secrets of his covenant. The Amplified says, The sweet, satisfying companionship of the Lord is with those who fear him, reverence him, and worship him. So you begin to see here that uh, God desires some things with us. The, the word fear there, the fear of the Lord, means to reverence, and it also re, re, means to respect Him. And so it tells us right there that God, he, he shows people that fear Him and reverence Him His covenant. And so literally stating, godly people live with the fear of God. They practice the fear of the God And you won't know God until you fear Him. And what you fear, you're going to serve. Now, every one of us in this room, we have just a a select few people in our lives that we share our secrets and the very intimate things in our life with. Just a few. Now, just think for that a minute. Who, Who you would share the secret things of your life with And the reason I say that is because Father God is no different. God's desire is to show us all certain things, but God looks for ones that fear Him, that respect Him, and they reverence Him. Turn with me now to the book of Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22. And as you're turning there, God wants more than an appointment in your schedule. God wants all of our heart. And so when we go here to Genesis 22, this man named Abraham that we talk about here, he was one of the men of God in the Bible that was specifically mentioned as a friend of God. Now when you become a friend of God, you you don't get that title just for the fun of it, okay? There's reasons that God called him a friend of God. 
And it's, it's very important that we see these things. So let me ask you this question here. What do you think God looks for in friends of His? The Bible will teach us right here. So we start in Genesis 22. Now if you've been here in the last few weeks, we've been in Genesis 22 one time before, but we're going to be in it several times even in the upcoming week. So Genesis 22, verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. Now again, I believe this personally, that every one of us in this room, we're in more tests that God puts us through than we ever really believe or realize. And when God tests us, it's not to flunk us. God's testing is just to keep raising us up to higher levels. Here's a verse you may want to write this down. This is Psalm 11, verse 5, and it says, The Lord tests the righteous. The Lord will test the righteous. And so God's desire is, again, to keep moving us up. So just as Abraham was tested, me and you are going to be tested. The issue with these things called tests is oftentimes we don't know we're going through ones until we've actually gone through it. And so in this passage here, it says the Lord testing. Abraham doesn't realize that at this moment. Keep reading. And so he tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Now that statement there, here I am, it denotes readiness, but also a fear. I'm going to add something else to that today that I didn't in the previous week. When he said, Abraham, and Abraham responded, here I am. Think about this just, just real quickly, briefly here. When Abraham responded, here I am, he knew God's voice. How do you think he knew his voice? Well, think about this in your life and my life. How do you recognize someone's voice in your life? It's because you've spent quality time with them. When Shelly calls me on the phone, I don't answer and say, who is this? Even though now with most of our cell phones, it tells you who it is. But again, I don't need to look at my cell phone. If my mom was to call me right now, I would know her voice. And so again, this shows something here that when God speaks to Abraham, Abraham says, here I am, God. I hear your voice and I recognize your voice and I respond to your voice. Verse 2. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago. That when it referenced the burnt offering, they knew what that was going to be. That was going to be an ultimate sacrifice. And so right here, he tells Abraham, he says, I want you to offer your son, Isaac, now, it's very difficult for us to imagine, but even to more so, to grasp what God just said to him. So for Abraham to grasp that, can you imagine the questions and the whys that are going through his head at that time? But you know what overrode the questions and the whys? is the fear of God. 
This was a man when God spoke to him, he didn't question why, he just obeyed. Now how do we know that? Watch this, verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning. You know what that means? He didn't delay. He was prompt. And the reason he, he, he rose early in the morning, he didn't give himself an opportunity to disobey or to reason himself right out of what God asked. Something happens when we obey God promptly. And so he saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering. He rose and he went to the place of which God had told him. So when I obey God quickly and quietly like he did here, it reveals not only the fear of the Lord, it reveals I trust the Lord. Now here's a point I want to make to this. When God speaks to us, and one of the prominent ways that God speaks to us is through his word. When you see what the word of God says to you, God doesn't want you to go pray about it and say, you know what, I'm going to pray about that whether I obey that or uh uh-uh. When God's word tells us something, you don't need to pray about it. You either obey it or you disobey it. Because when God speaks to us in his word, this is his desire. So oftentimes, you'll see people that will get something through the scriptures and they'll say, you know what, I'm going to go home and pray about it. What are you going to pray about? You either obey it or you disobey it. Ow. Keep reading. Verse 4. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and he saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to the young men, he said, stay here with the donkey and the lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. Now that was a couple weeks ago. Remember, worship was rooted in obedience. So let me paraphrase what's going on here just briefly. Abraham goes to this hill called Moriah and he builds this altar and he takes the wood that he had brought with him And he puts it underneath the altar. And then he puts his son Isaac on that altar. And then he raises his knife in this position right here. And he's on the verge of obeying God completely. Now listen to me. God's desire is not for us to, to offer our children at sacrifice. That wasn't his deal. But he was testing the heart of Abraham. Same chapter. Pick up with me in verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Now here's the big question mark. How did the angel of the Lord know that he feared God? Look at the last part of verse 12. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son. So what you see here is he obeyed God. That's how the angel of the Lord knew he feared God. So guess what the test was here? Will you obey me to the point that you fear me? 
So again, in this situation, he was in a test. Do you fear God? Do you obey God above everything? And so literally, this is what separated Abraham from all the other people of the earth. He would obey completely, fully. Now turn with me back to your left to Genesis 13. And I I want you to see a couple passages here that begin to show us why Abraham was such a friend to God. You're going to, to Genesis 13. I'm going to paraphrase some stuff just briefly here. In Genesis 12, the Lord appears to Abraham and he said, Abe, you got to get out of your country. You got to get away from your family and get out from underneath your, fa- your father's house. Now, I-, I want you to think about that just a little bit. That's not easy. God literally wants to uproot everything in his life that looked as some sort of, of security or stability. Now, put yourself in this story right now, okay? Get out of your country. Get away from your family. And get out from underneath your father's house. And then God says, he said, I'm going to take you to a land that I'll show you. And so not only does he tell him to get out of his country, he says, you're going to go to a land that I'm going to show you. And, and I'm sure Abraham's thinking, well, Lord, just where is that? And then God says to him, if you'll obey me in that degree, I'll bless you, I'll multiply you, I'll make your name great, and I'll bless you to be a blessing. So again, God tells him, this is what I'm going to do But do you trust me enough to obey me? Wow. And so when I look at that, it's incredible that this man, he obeyed him. How do we know he obeyed him? Well, to paraphrase a little more, we go to the the first part of Genesis 13. And he ends up in an area of Egypt. He's got him, his wife, Sarah's with him, and a nephew named Lot. God begins to bless Abraham so much that him and Lot have livestock all over the place. They have so much blessings. And now think about this. Blessings are attached to obedience. When you obey God, God will bless. And so they get so blessed that their herdsmen begin to fight. And they begin to get in strife. And so this is where we pick up Genesis 13, verse 8. So Abraham said to his nephew Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. House divided can't stand. Verse 9. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. If you go to the right, then I will go to the left. Now, when I read this, you must understand that this nephew named Lot, Lot is not being blessed because of Lot. Lot is being blessed because good old Uncle Abe. 
And so Lot's walking underneath of the very blessings of a man named Abraham to chose, who chose to believe God. So Abraham says, if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. But when I read that, I think, well, why didn't Abraham get a pig first? You know why Abraham didn't get a pig first? It's because Abraham knew this. No matter where he goes and where I have to go, God's going to bless me because God told me that in Genesis 12. And God knew. God said, wherever you go, I'm going to bless you. And so Abraham's like, go to the left, go to the right. I don't care. I'm going to get blessed either way, buddy. Keep reading. So Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw all the plain of Jordan. Now, let me, let me read that in the New Living. Read what this says here. Lot took a long look, a long, long look at the plain of Jordan. Now, the Bible gives us great insight why he did that. It says that it was well watered. Everywhere, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, or the fertile garden of the, the uh, a garden, like the land of Egypt, which was well irrigated, as you shall go toward Zor. So Lot gets first pick, and he's got a choice to make. And so Lot looks, and he sees the land. It's really, really, really watered. But the land is, is dominated by some people that lived in a region called Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot knew the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, they were ungodly. He knew that. He knew that going in. But he sees this land that is well watered. Now in their time, when you had well watered land, you know what that was equivalent to? Prosperity and abundance. And so Lot's got a choice to make. And you know what the choice was? Ultimately, he chose money over morals. And he said, you know what? I want money. So in this situation, Lot's in a test. What are you going to choose? What are you going to choose, Lot? Every one of us in this room, we got choices to make every day. In the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verse 17, it talks about a battle that every one of us are in. You know what the battle is? There's a battle between our flesh and our spirit. Galatians 5, 17 says this, and your spirit lusts against your flesh, and your flesh lusts against your spirit. And so there's conflict. There's a tug of war. How many of you sense tug of war in your life sometime? I sense it. There's a pool. What are you going to do? Are you going to gratify this thing called your flesh? Or are you going to live by the things of God? See, that's, that's, that's a, this guy named Lot. He's in that right now. Verse 11. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east and they separated from each other. Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan. And Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain. And he pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. Now what's interesting in that in verse 12, the New International Version says this, and this is what really helped me in this. It said, Lot pitched his tent near Sodom. 
He pitched his tent near Sodom. Now, he understood the wickedness of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, but he pitched his tent near them. So you know what it says to me? And this is human nature. This is me and you to the T. It's almost like I, I, I want to flirt with sin. I, I want to see how close I can go in the area of sin without actually sinning. And, and this is where he's at right here. The thing is, when it comes to flirting with sin, Lot wasn't exempt, and I'm not exempt. But when I don't fear God, I'm going to gravitate towards sin. Now watch verse 13. Listen to what this says. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. That's how I knew Lot knew what he was getting into. And so up to this time... Lot's life had been influenced by good old Uncle Abraham. And as long as he was around this righteous man named Abraham, his life was good. But now, Lot makes a little change here. And now he's going to start going around these guys from Sodom and Gomorrah. And guess what? If I don't hang out with the godly and I start hanging out with the ungodly, I'm going to start acting like them. And so this is exactly what happens with Lot, that his heart becomes absorbed with sin. Genesis 19, just a couple pages. Genesis 19, verse 1 and 2. Now watch this. And it, it will show us biblically the steps of Lot. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening. Now I want to stop right there because you may say, where are these two angels from? Okay, what happens in the chapter 18 in the early parts, verse 1 and 2? There's three angels that came, three of them. One of them says to Abraham, Abe, and to Sarah, his wife, you're going to have a baby. Abe's 100, she's 90. You know what and Sarah does? She laughs. I'm 58, Shelly's 55. If you tell me we're going to have a baby today, I'm not just going to laugh. I'm going to get on my knees and beg for mercy. Oh, no, Lord, not me. Not me. Please. So th these, these three angels show up and they tell Sarah, you're going to have a baby. Yeah, right. And so after this one tells her she's going to have a baby, he departs. So now you got these two angels. Keep reading. And so they came to Sodom in the evening. And Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. One translation says that Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city of Sodom. So he's no longer on the outskirts. He's now moved smack dab right into the middle of sin. Keep reading. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Here now, my lords. Please turn into your servant's house, spend the night, and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, no, but we will spend the night in the open square. So this becomes very clear to me. Lot's living right in the middle of sin. And sin begins to influence him in incredible ways. So this city called Sodom, where he's leave, living, it's thriving. It's prosperous. 
It seems like it's doing well, well, well. But the problem is the people of that city are dominated by the cares of this world. The deceitfulness of riches. The desire for other things. The very things you find in the parable of the sower in Mark 4. And so they are so consumed with all these things that God is nowhere to be found. You don't see God mentioned. You don't see God reverenced. And so literally what is going on here is this is a city that is tuned into society's ways. They're synchronized to the world. And, and they begin to smell like, like the world. This is what happens a lot. He begins to act like the world. And here's what's crazy about these people of Sodom right here. None of them had a clue that they were this close to being wiped off the face of the earth. None of them. Their hearts were so hard to the things of God. Now let me give you another thought on that. That's exactly how Lot's life was too. At this moment in his life, Lot doesn't have a clue that he's this close to getting wiped off the face of the earth. And so what that shows me many times in people's life, in a society, we go along and we have the thought, this thing called the world, it's going to continue forever. It's not. But we have the thought it is, and we have the thought we can live however we want. It's going to be all okay. And again, Lot begin to be influenced by the world. This place called Sodom, their morals were all out of whack, guys. And guess what happens? A thing called human rights. What used to be right is now wrong, or what used to be wrong is now right. And that's what began to happen here. But we're going to end on a good note. Go back to chapter 18, verse 16. And this is going to give you an identity here a little bit today. Of why this man named Abraham was called a friend of God. Verse 16. Then the men rose, these angels from there, and they looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to send them on their way. Now at this point in Abraham's life, he doesn't know these two angels. They are on an assignment from God to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He doesn't know that. Verse 17. But the Lord said... Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? The Amplified says, Shall I hide from my friend and my servant Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he can command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness, and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very great. Two things. The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah 
and their sin is very great. When you study the outcry against it, if we had time, we'd go to the book of Genesis chapter 4. Two brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel. The first recorded death of a human being. He murders his brother. And in, in Genesis 4, it specifically says this. That Abel's blood is crying out. Something began to happen in the population of Sodom and Gomorrah that their wickedness, their sin, the violence in their life was crying out to God. And because their sin here, he said, was so grave, it was exceedingly grievous. So it tells me a couple things here. The violence on the earth at some time begins to cry out to God. And there must be a level of sin that once it gets to a certain place, Father God looks and says, enough. Now remember to help us with this, this isn't the first time that God had destroyed an area. Remember in Noah's days, in Genesis 6, as it was in Noah's days, so it will be the second coming of the Lord and Savior Jesus. So if you go back and you look in Noah's days, it said the land was filled with violence, they were corrupt, and they were exceedingly wicked. And you know what God does? He destroyed it. Understand, God is righteous. God will judge sin. He must punish sin. Keep reading. Verse 21. I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it, that it has come before me, and if not, I will know. You know, one of the number one way God knows is how well we repent. If we are a people that is truly sorrowful for our sin, and we repent. And so this was God's heart right here. Verse 22. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood still before the Lord. And Abraham came near. Abraham drew near to God and he said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Now, now watch this in verse 25. This was Abraham talking to Father God. Far be it from you to do such a thing as to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth, shall you not do what's right? Now when I read that, you, you're talking about somebody being bold right there. But it's interesting to me that God would allow this man to inject his opinion but not only inject his opinion, he became part of the negotiating process. Far be it from you, God. You know what he was saying? I know your character, Father God. I know who you are. I know you wouldn't destroy the righteous with the wicked. Verse 26, so the Lord said, 
If I find Sodom, in Sodom, 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, Now, I who am but dust and ashes have not taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. New International Version says, I won't speak so boldly to the Lord. You, you, you sense the fear of God on him? He said, I'm, I'm nothing but dust and ashes. In other words, I, I realize you're the creator and I'm the creation. And, and I don't want to tread upon this and cross over something that God says, enough, buddy. But it's interesting to me that God continued to listen to him. Verse 32. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak but once more. Suppose ten should be found there. And the Lord said, I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. He goes from 50 all the way down to 10. You know what the fear of the Lord is? I love what God loves. And I hate what God hates. And so we begin to see this guy who was a friend of God. It's interesting to me. He didn't cry out and say, God... Protect my businesses. He didn't say, Father God, protect all my cattle, my life. Protect all my, my earthly things. If you read into that, Abraham's number one concern was for people. And it wasn't just people, it was the righteous. He said, Lord, if you find 10, would you save it? And God said, I'll save it. But the crazy thing about that is he couldn't find 10. You know how many found? Four. And one of them didn't make it because she was so, so synchronized to society's way. Lot's wife didn't make it. And I go back into the days of Noah, and you know how many made it on the ark? Eight. They couldn't even find ten there. And so when I look at this man named Abraham, how he was a friend to God, it wasn't by coincidence, it wasn't by accident. This was a man who said, even in ugly times, wicked times, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to obey God. Turn with me to the book of John 15, and this is what we'll end with. And as you're turning here to John 15, let me just tell you this. This is what Jesus talks about, friends. John 15. I'm going to read them backwards. I'm going to read verse 15, then I'm going to go to verse 14. John 15, verse 15. This is the Lord Jesus. He said, no longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. You know, Jesus was talking to his disciples right there. And he said, you guys know what I'm doing. And he said, I've called you friends. Now, almost every verse we've read today will cross-reference right back into Genesis 18, verse 17. Almost every one of them. That's where this goes back to. So he's talking about a friend of God here. And he says, but I have called you friends. 
For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. So as I read verse 10, 15, I have to ask this question. So what would qualify me as a friend of Jesus? Verse 14. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. The Amplified says you are my friends if you will keep on doing everything I command you. So to be a friend of God, it's somebody who obeys God. He obeys his commands quickly and quietly. And that's why there are very few men listed in the Bible who could actually be said he was a friend of God. So as I read this, I think, where am I at? How well do I obey? How well do you obey? Because the longer this thing goes on in this place called earth, it's, it's funneling in this direction. And I believe more and more it's funneling rapidly. God's looking for the righteous. He's looking at ones that aren't ashamed of the gospel. He's looking at ones that will say, you know what, I don't care how ungodly it gets. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to serve God. I don't want to blend in. I'll end with this thought. In the book of Ecclesiastes, King David's son Solomon he had everything imaginable. If, if you study Ecclesiastes, the guy had farms, he had ranches, he had livestock, he had vineyards, he had male and female servants. He had everything under the sky. That dude had 750 wives. And he gets to the end of his life and he said, this is the conclusion. Fear God and obey Him. Fear God and obey Him. You know what I see in that man right there? He had everything. And everything was vain. Everything was useless. He began to realize none of that's going to matter. The conclusion of the whole matter is fear God and obey Him. And so if I had to give myself a grade, what kind of grade would I get today? Do I, do I lean more to the things of the world? I mean, if I had to choose today between God and money, morals and money, what do I choose? And so just like Abraham, what's your number one concern today? Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.